from the Center for European Reform. This is the CER Podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of the CER Podcast. My name is Sofia Besch. I'm a research fellow here at the Center for European Reform. And today I'm in conversation with Agata Gostinska-Jakubowska, who's also a research fellow here at the CER. Hello. Hi, Agata. Hi. We're here to talk about Eurozone reform. The European Commission published its proposals to reform the Eurozone this week on Wednesday, December the 6th. What are your major takeaways from that, Agata? The European Commission is recognizing that the Eurozone is coming out of the woods. The Eurozone economies are growing and unemployment is falling. And the European Commission thinks that this is the best moment to push forward Eurozone reforms. Of course, the election of pro-European Emmanuel Macron has also injected some optimism about the Eurozone reforms. And just to quote President Juncker, he thinks that there is no better time to fix the roof than when the sun is shining. Well, in theory, that is a plausible argument, but I'm afraid that the political reality in the EU is different. Member states have a been reluctant to uh, embark on the reform path in good times. You know, the reforms are usually conducted in bad times. But in any case, uh, you know, the Eurozone has tabled uh, certain proposals and perhaps it makes sense if I just go through uh, basic assumptions. Yes, please. The first reform is European Monetary Fund. The European Commission wants to create such a fund by transferring the European Stability Mechanism, which is providing financial assistance to member states in need into the monetary fund and also it wants to anchor it into the EU legal framework. Now, such a fund would continue providing the financial assistance to countries in distress, but it would be also a backstop for the single resolution fund, which I think is of key importance. And, you know, over the time, perhaps the Commission would like to develop the functions of the monetary fund. Perhaps it would also perform the stabilization function in the Eurozone. And then there is another reform. The European Commission would like to propose introduction of the fiscal compact, which you may remember as something that David Cameron didn't like, uh, to introduce it into the EU treaties as well, something which probably will not create any fuss. And then one of the proposals is also to create euro line in the EU budget. And the European Commission wants to assist euro area countries in their efforts to conduct structural reforms, but it also wants to create convergence instruments. So, for example, assist non-euro area countries, which are legally committed to join the Eurozone, and perhaps encourage them to accelerate the accession path. And last but not least, uh, I imagine one of the proposals which is uh, causing a lot of controversies, the European Commission wants to create over time a post of the Minister of Economy and Finances, who would oversee all those instruments, so oversee the work of the European Monetary fund would also be in charge of other stability instruments and basically would be in charge of the economic governance in the eurozone. Thanks. That was a, a great and very <laughs> succinct overview. Very useful. So the leaders from the euro area countries are now meeting for the euro summit next week in Brussels to discuss these proposals. What do you think their response are going to be to the Commission's reform ideas? Well, the European Commission's proposals are going against uh, the French president's ideas for the Eurozone reform. So as you can imagine, he's probably he's not going to be particularly happy 
Can you just explain how exactly they yeah. go against his proposals? Yeah. So th the French president would like to create separate Eurozone governance. He suggested in the past that the Eurozone should have its own budget, that it should have its own uh, finance minister who would be in charge of this budget and who would be accountable most probably to MEPs from the Euro area uh, countries. This is the idea the European Commission dislikes. This kind of a multi-track EU is something that the Commission would like to avoid. And in the Commission's view, you know, most, if not all, member states should at some point adopt Euro and uh, the EU should encourage them to do so rather than discouraging them by creating new institutions which would undermine their say and influence in the decision-making process. So France is not going to like the proposal. France is not going to be particularly enthusiastic about this, um, but I think that Berlin must feel uneasy about both the timing of the reforms and its also content as well. Because of Berlin's <laughs> own struggles in forming a government at the I think, moment? I think you know, it, you know it really well. Indeed, we have no uh, government currently in Germany and we don't know whether we will wake up in New Year's with a grand coalition or a minority government or perhaps with another snap election. So I find it uh, extremely difficult to imagine that any serious political uh, leader in Germany would like to engage now in discussion about the Euro zone reform, which is obviously uh, making waves in Germany and, and is causing distress to many German uh, taxpayers. But just to be absolutely clear, the Commission's proposals are closer to what Berlin could imagine doing than uh, French President Emmanuel Macron's proposals? Well, I think I think that Commission is uh, waving this olive branch uh, to Berlin with its proposals. In order to understand uh, you know, this uh, very delicate uh, balancing act, it might be worth sort of taking a, a step back and to say that Berlin, I think, has been complaining for quite a long time that the European Commission has become too political in a way it enforces budgetary and fiscal rules. And if anything, Berlin would probably like to take away those powers from the Commission and empower the European stability mechanism with such a role. This is no surprise to us, the European stability mechanism mechanism is an intergovernmental instrument where Germany has veto rights. I mean, in principle, any decisions uh, are subject to consensus. But if, for example, you know, we see that financial assistance or rather uh, reluctance to grant financial assistance to member states in need would destabilize Uh, Eurozone, 85% of shareholders could decide to grant such an assistant. Um, and because Berlin has more than 50% of shares, it could veto it. But the Commission is saying, look, we still want to integrate the ESM into the EU legal framework, but we are not going to change the voting rules. Uh, so to me, it seems like the Commission has either diluted a bit its reform proposals or simply wants to meet Berlin halfway because it understands that Berlin is a crucial player here. But then you also have the European Council president, who also has something to say about the Eurozone reform. And he has been also quite clear, and I imagine he will repeat it when member states meet for the Euro summit, that the EU should focus on the most important elements of the reform, which in to his mind, I think, is banking union and a backstop for the single resolution fund, rather than being sort of troubled 
with any institutional debate, uh, which that you should definitely keep for later. Right. So those are the politics of the thing. Yes. Let's move on to the legal implications, which really is your, your area of expertise. French President Emmanuel Macron has complained previously that member states have shied away from pushing for ambitious reforms because they worry that they would trigger treaty change. Would these reforms that the Commission has tabled, Juncker's reforms, require treaty revision, Agatha? Well, President Juncker thinks that they wouldn't. And he wants to use flexibility clause. I'm sorry to be <laughs> now very legalistic. A flexibility clause, which is enshrined in uh, Article 352 of the Treaty on the Functioning of the European Union, which says that the EU could push for certain measures even if there is no explicit legal basis for it in the EU treaties. In other words, even if the EU treaties didn't envisage the competences for the EU to do so, but those measures are necessary to attain certain objectives which are in the EU treaties. I know it's quite complicated, but President Juncker thinks that his proposals would help to achieve one of the key objectives of the EU treaties, which is the stability of the Eurozone, right? And hence he thinks he can, for example, transfer the European stability mechanism and introduce it into the EU legal framework without, you know, fully-fledged treaty change. The problem is that that would still require a unanimous agreement of all member states and a consent of the European Parliament. I wouldn't be worried too much about the European Parliament, which is very happy about what the European uh, Commission uh, has tabled. But as we just discussed, you know, I'm not sure whether there would be a consensus among member states. And then, of course, the question is if the European Commission wanted to push for something really meaningful and if it wanted, for example, to give a more discretionary powers to the new finance minister, uh, you know, whereby he would have some uh, leverage and some room for maneuver on the economic governance, then I think that would actually trigger transfer of competences and hence treaty change. So in your latest policy brief, which I encourage all our listeners to read, it's called A New Deal for the Eurozone, Remedy or Placebo, and you can find it on the CEA website. In this policy brief, you argue that because of differences of opinion between the South and the North on how to bring the Eurozone on a stable footing, and due to member states' reluctance to open up the EU treaties, as we've just discussed, there's a risk that any reforms of the Eurozone are going to be watered down to a point that they become insignificant. Do you think that this is likely to happen? And what could be the implications of such a fudge for the Eurozone? Mm. I think actually that implications could be catastrophic for the Eurozone future. And I think that, you know, even though indeed the Eurozone is coming out of the woods and perhaps also the support for Euro, as the Commission has indicated, is at its highest, the citizens, I, I think, well, there is a little trust both in the EU institutions, but also in national institutions, uh, particularly in the sovereign corners of the Eurozone. You know, citizens think that it doesn't really matter whom they vote for because they get the same austerity all the time. You know, Greece voted for Syriza, left-wing government, and they got austerity. So 
if the EU rushes to create new EU institutions or instruments, which wouldn't make any macroeconomic difference to Eurozone, but also to the Eurozone democratic legitimacy, then they simply risk pushing those citizens in the hands of the Eurosceptics. And we shouldn't forget that we are um, closer to the European Parliament's elections in 2019, which could improve the standing of, of Eurosceptics. So reforms in name only would be destructive, you think? I think uh, a reform which is not meaningful uh, definitely would do more harm than good. And I think that the last thing that EU needs right now is a disappointment of its citizens. So it should focus most probably on what is really crucial, on you know banking union, probably also capital union. And if it actually deliberates about any uh, institutional reforms, it should make sure that it creates you know, someone with a portfolio who can make a difference for those citizens. Okay, so let's talk more about that. What would be your, your piece of advice for the EU leaders that meet next week in Brussels? Mm. What should they decide on? I think that, first of all, they should realize that they need to reach out to those ordinary uh, citizens, that they need to send them out before they embark on any Eurozone reform path. And in this context, I think that the idea of President Macron to go for those democratic conventions in various member states is not a bad idea. If If only those leaders who are interested in organizing such conventions invite various stakeholders, not the usual suspect, but people, stakeholders from all walks of life. And I think this should definitely be a first step. I think the EU leaders also should be prepared to hear what they perhaps not necessarily want to hear, uh, rather than, you know, swiping the advice under the carpet. And as I said, I think they, they shouldn't rush with any institutions if they know that they are not going to make any difference to citizens at all. Because, you know, the Eurozone survived almost two decades without its own government. But I dare to think that it might not survive another disappointment of its citizens if they think that they are, you know, palmed off with uh, placebos rather than being offered a real remedy to their problems. Agata Gostinska-Jakubowska on the Commission's reform proposals for the Eurozone. Thank, Thank you, very, you much. very much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the CEA podcast and thanks to Beth Oppenheim, our editor. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and SoundCloud and follow us on Twitter, CEA underscore EU.